This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to another episode of Solo Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett, and uh, we've got a reprise, or yeah, I guess a reprise is the word I'd use here, uh, a uh, guest coming back on today, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about this. You know, last time we talked to Dan, uh, Dan Freckling, um, yeah, he's the CEO of Boltiv. Uh, we started going down uh, uh, a conversational rabbit hole um, that was very fruitful. And I was frustrated because we didn't have enough time uh, in the 30 minute uh, uh, window that I'm working with here to actually explore some of the other stuff that I know that Dan can bring some light to. And that, you know, I also think that it is going to be phenomenally interesting to those of you that are listening that uh, are concerned about just kind of the qualitative security of what goes on with your computers, your phones, uh, yeah, your electronic uh, communication <laughs> modalities. So um, just real quick on, on, on Boltiv. Boltiv is one of the, uh, probably one of the premier uh, organizations today uh, working with data security, particularly privacy in the, uh, um, I'm going to just euphemistically and very generally say the ad space, you know, because everybody's getting advertising, you know, you click on something, on Amazon, all of a sudden you're being inundated with all kinds of tracking uh, ads that say, you looked at those pair of shoes, have you thought about these? And all that kind of other stuff. And I know that I, every now and then, will get a pop-up that's saying, you know, you, 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 you might want to check the security of your system. Uh, and <laughs> there's a, it's kind of like, here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> yeah, click here, let's see where we go. So I want to uh, welcome Dan back. Um, and yeah, Dan, your your episode just uh, so you know is is uh, getting quite a quite a bit of traction. And uh, as we're yeah having this conversation right now, that episode just went up uh, on uh, September twelfth. So I'm I'm just real pleased to kind of see the traction we're getting on that. Yeah. So it's yeah I usually don't have somebody back so quickly, but what we talked about last time was so compelling that I couldn't not say come on back. <laughs> so welcome, Dan Freckling. Um, CEO of Boltiv. Yeah, Blaine, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. And I appreciate you squeezing me in amongst all your global travels because you had quite a bit of late. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been busy. All of a sudden, uh, the flood, you know, floodgates have kind of opened up here, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. I mean, I've got a lot of you know, really cool stuff. For those of you that are listening, you can go to my website and pick up more about that. Yeah, yeah, because there's going to be some information that you're going to want to have about different products and programs and uh, offerings that uh, are going to be available to you. But that's on a completely different bandwidth and a completely <laughs> different topic. Right now, I want to talk about um, something that you, you know, kind of mentioned in passing, uh, but I didn't get a chance to go into depth with. 
And it's the whole subject of malware, you know, viruses yeah. and, and that sort of stuff that accompany and are concomitant with um, mm -hmm. this whole thing around the, uh, the advertising ecosystem. So I'm going to just kind of you know, give you your head on this and we'll see where we uh, uh, end up going. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's an entire there's an entire sphere of, of malicious attacks that come through advertising to the point that the term malvertising was coined, which is like a portmanteau of, of malicious and advertising, uh, a combination of, of those two words. And you, you, what typically happens is you go to a legitimate publisher site and the content is safe, but the ads are not safe. And your computer can be infected by the ads because they're like little back doors into publisher websites where anything can go. And, and it, as a user, it can often be hard to tell the difference between what's an ad and what's content. And even, you know, even if you can tell the difference, the ads can harm you even without clicking on ads. So um, really, even without clicking on them. Yes. Yeah. The code can execute. Uh, behavior behind the scenes on your machine. And you might have experienced this when I say machine, device, it can be your phone, it can be your laptop. You may have experienced when you're, you're on an app or you're on a website and then something takes over your whole screen. And it could be the example like you're talking about, which is telling you you're infected. The other scams that are saying you're the five billionth web uh, <laughs> searcher and you've won a prize. Uh, there's all kinds of scams that use that kind of approach to it. And that's, th those are some of the more lighthearted ones. It can get a lot more serious than that when we look into ransomware and Trojans and, and things like that. But, but I like your introduction here, Blaine, because we talked a lot about privacy last time, but that's just one of the four forms of invasive media that Boltiv uh, has, has been in business to help stop. And the others are, are, are malware, offensive ads, which you know, there's just patently offensive content and then there's situationally offensive content. And then heavy ads that can slow down your machine, consume a lot of memory. Those are the four types that we're in business to stop. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the title of this podcast is The Soul of Business. So I'm interested, just your take, uh, Dan, on the malicious intent <laughs> And, and I'm not necessarily talking injurious intent, but malicious intent, the, uh, the sneakiness of some of these ads, where do they fit within the ecosystem of the soul of business and the, con in the, in the, in the notion that the purpose of business is to uplift the experience of being alive on this planet? Yeah. It almost seems antithetical. And yeah. you know, you know, <laughs> when I look at it, 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 it is antithetical. But is there a place for this? Well, it's uh, like many things, um, human beings can justify about anything that they do with some, <laughs> with some greater good. And there are regions of the world and there are certain governments that justify malicious activity in the self-interest that they um, espouse. And so in the, in the way that you've coined it and you have, um, have, propagated it, Blaine. I don't think there, I think it's a soulless activity completely. Mm -hmm. In the justification of those who are acting it out, there is a greater good. And sometimes that greater good is just monetary enrichment. There are lots of ways to make money in this world. One of the fastest ways to make money 
if you have a computer coding background and you live in a certain part of the world is to join the dark side. And so it's, it's more attractive economically. It's, it's more attractive from a uh, rising standard of living standpoint because there aren't alternatives, unfortunately, or the alternatives don't pay as well. So anybody can justify anything, right? And we're just in that storm with, with uh, invasive advertising. Yeah, anybody can justify anything. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that you talk about, and you can, you know, you can actually riff on this, I think, fairly well, just given, you know, you know your position and Boltiv's position in, in, in the, uh, the uh, industry. What are some tips to keep people safe? that yeah. you might be able to offer up here. Yeah. So we normally work with businesses, but there are things that consumers can do to protect themselves too. And I'm going to categorize them probably as extreme measures and then more tame uh, measures. The extreme measures, right, is to never click on ads, which, as I said a moment ago, doesn't completely save you from, um, from malicious intent, but it does a good job. The other is to install ad blockers, and we can talk about ad blockers in a minute and, and what they are. And um, but but this, these sorts of things to shut off advertising, it's a little bit like cutting off your nose to spite your face. And it's certainly the publishers, the media companies would say so, because by denying them revenue, they need to produce content for you or for you and me, right? When when you don't provide the monetization through your eyeballs it's gonna cost somewhere else. And it, the cost could be the publisher going out of business. So I'm not, gonna, uh, I'm not gonna champion either of those ideas, but there are other things you can do that are more reasonable, more tame. And number one is to keep your browser updated with patches, which is just a good security practice and a good privacy practice anyway. It's, it can be hard, right, to keep everything updated. And it's not just your browser, it's your phone, it's your operating system, all of these things. Another one, which is a neat little trick, is if, you're, if you see an ad that's suspicious, hover over it with your mouse and see where's the URL that it's directing to. And is, does that look like it's consistent with the product? The same tool, by the way, the same technique can be used with email when you yes. look at who's that sender, right? right? Yeah. And you see where is that because you can spoof senders and you can spoof domains the same way. But hovering over the ad is another technique. And, and another one, is uh, which marketers aren't going to love, but um, it, it is to Google the product. You see an ad for something, rather than clicking on it, Google the product, then that will take you to the legitimate site as opposed to taking a chance on being redirected. But one other thing I would say, Blaine, is that, that uh, companies like Boltiv and our ad lightning product have massive troves and really large block lists. So we know most of the bad actors that have ever existed, but there's always new ones and consumers mm -hmm. can report ads. So, so many vendors like like our ad lightning product have a report ad uh, feature underneath uh, the creative and that helps publishers and, and vendors such as ours um, analyze them and remove them. You know, uh, yeah, the idea of you know, being proactive yeah, in this context, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, rather than being a victim of circumstance and the key word there is being a victim, uh, it's, it, it, uh, yeah, just that word itself presupposes I have no agency. Yeah, and uh -huh. it, it yeah. wasn't me. Uh, and <laughs> the lack of you know, the the lack of control that comes with that. The idea of data security and being responsible for that as a user. Um, you know, cookies. I mean, I've always got cookies coming up. You know, when I go to a fresh you know, fresh website or something like this, and there is a move towards a cookieless future. Mm 
Yes. And I know the, the value of cookies and you know, from a tracking perspective and from, you know, just, you know, efficiency, yeah, yeah, from a, you know, a browser utility perspective. What's the impact on data privacy when we move more and more and more towards a cookie-less uh, future? Mm -hmm. So I would say it's, it's uncertain. It, um, you know, it, it's sort of the known problem and the unknown problem. Like we're, we're getting rid of something that was really kind of used past its uh, sell-by date, right? Yeah. So let's. Yeah. So if if, you, if I think if you go back historically and you look at where where did cookies come from, and and I don't believe we talked about this in the last episode. No, but we didn't. No. Okay, yeah. So the the first cookie actually came out in 1994, and there was an uh, an engineer at Netscape. Remember Netscape? And <laughs> in, oh yeah, I remember <laughs> right? Netscape. Yeah. yeah, and they were well-meaning. And they wanted to remember visitors, for example, who had put items in a shopping cart. So that's a really good utility. That's 1994. One year later in 1995, the first tracker was created by an engineer at DoubleClick who realized, hey, these cookies can be used in a third party sense to follow people around the web. And so the, so the idea of cookies and um, and web experience has been intertwined since the beginning. It's taken us 20 years to unwind that, but we are unwinding that right now after um, two delays from Google. Originally, we were going to be done with cookies this year, then it was delayed to next year, and now it's being delayed to the end of, of, uh, uh, of 2024. But there's certainly cookie-less alternatives out there to be tested. The problem is we know cookies are bad for privacy. We don't know if uh, if, if certain identity solutions are good for privacy or not, that are seeking to replace cookies. And on the other extreme, we don't know if, if contextual marketing or contextual advertising, which is a privacy by design type marketing tool, we don't know if that's going to be as, as effective and what that will do to the online marketing space, which will then start to look more like magazines. So in, in a cookie-less world, we know what we're getting rid of. It's sort of the devil we know, but it's the devils that we don't know that uh, will will fall into that void because marketers need to target and publishers need to monetize. So there's lots of room for for skirting around and crossing the lines there. Yeah, that 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 you know, Faustian bargain uh, <laughs> monetization for free content. I mean, yeah, how do yeah, yeah and that's what the yeah. supports. Yeah, and in order for that engine to work or that that business model to work, data has to be shared. Uh, so. That you know, ends up becoming really interesting uh, when we start looking at some of the data privacy um, regulations that are, you know, you mean, you know, we've got you know, Zuckerberg you know, testifying before Congress. We've got you know, Google's executives in front of Congress right now. Yeah. They, they, you know, Silicon Valley doesn't know where they're, you know, <laughs> how they're using your data. I mean, it's just, oh yes. you know, it's just yes. yeah, it goes into this black yes. hole. So, yeah, you know, we've got this alphabet soup of data privacy laws around the world, GDPR <laughs> and in, 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 you know, CPRA, CCPA. I mean, you just kind of, yeah, throw an acronym up there. The U.S. is behind on this right now. California is trying to do some stuff. Some of the individual states are trying to do some things, but it's still a hodgepodge. Is there a, a as, you, as you look in the future, is there something that you see, and this is a fortune telling moment here, yeah. but is there something that you see on the horizon that suggests that there may be a uh, one size fits all data privacy oh. piece that is on the horizon? 
Well, we used to hope so. Uh, about four, six weeks ago, we hoped so. It was called the ADPPA. I love your term, yeah. alphabet soup, because these are very odd acronyms. The ADPPA, which was proposed before the August recess, and it had a shot of making it to the House, uh, the, the, the greater House, it was introduced at a committee in the House, but making it to the broader House for, um, for voting. It didn't make it before the August recess. The next entry point, the next kind of um, uh, 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 opportunity for it was before the midterms, and it's unlikely that's going to happen. And the reason is that it's a decent law. I think most privacy practitioners, experts give it a B plus, which is very high for Congress, for, for the federal uh, <laughs> yeah. lawmakers. That's very high, <laughs> right? Because um, it has a lot of civil rights protections and it has a private right of action, which means consumers can bring lawsuits in certain situations. There's um, sensitive data protections. Um, however, California got there first and there's a very strong political uh, weight coming out of California. And uh, there's also Nancy Pelosi, who has a, a lot of power, right? Number three in line uh, in the in leadership of this country. And she has said she's not gonna bring it to a vote because it doesn't have all the protections that California's CCPA does. So there was some, some hope and belief, and there still is a little bit that the ADPPA could make its way back. But the real sticking point is whether it is a ceiling or a floor. And a ceiling means, right? It, a ceiling means it preempts all the state laws. It becomes the law of the land. And a floor means it's a starting point and states can build on top of that. And there's a tremendous amount of debate on the industry side, chambers of commerce, business organizations, they want it to be a ceiling because they want a consistent, like you said, one, one law of the land, right? And, um, but at the state level, there's just too many differences for the states to go along and allow that. So that sort of answered your question. We don't have it in the US. That means GDPR out of Europe still is really the reigning authority because that tends to be what global companies um, solve for. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, and just, yeah, I'm not a big player at all. And I have to be GDPR compliant because I've got clients literally from all over the world um, that uh, give me information. Uh, so, that has been a very interesting hoop for me to, to jump through. Uh, yeah. And yeah. in finding somebody in this country, you know, you know, for a, a small business to be able to navigate the compliance structures of, of GDPR has been very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'd like to touch on that. We're gonna take a real quick break, but you know, the, the cost to business, you know, where's the offset? And you know, the, there is a cost of doing business and, and, and Part of it, you know, and I want to explore this, you know, the, the consumer trust uh, is offset by, you know, what I'm doing as a business and you know, managing my revenue stream, you know, my expenses. You know, so all of that you know, gets really interesting here. So we're going to take a real quick break. We're talking uh, to the CEO of one of the best, and I say that one of the best uh, data privacy firms uh, on the planet today, uh, Dan Frickling. Uh, out of uh, the Boltiv organization, CEO of Boltiv. So we'll be right back. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on 
Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the Leadership Mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back, folks. Before Dan and I uh, took a little break here, um, I had posited that there is a cost to doing business uh, <laughs> around this ad privacy or the, this privacy uh, and security issue when it comes to data that gets uh, accumulated by businesses. And I mentioned, you know, I'm not a large organization at all, but I've got uh, businesses all, you know, literally all over the planet. I, I don't think there's, you know, except for Antarctica, there's not a continent I don't do business on. Uh, penguins don't have email addresses. Um, but that being said, there is a cost to complying with, and in this case, it's going to be GDPR because it seems to be the major one that you know, anybody that has an international presence has to pay attention to. Where does that cost get mitigated? Or how does that cost get mitigated from your perspective uh, as you're looking at this? Yeah, that's a really broad and a good question. So there's a there's a trade an ongoing trade-off between convenience and data privacy. And I will give you an example of that trade-off because somewhere we have to draw the line. The, and the line has been shifting. Take Facebook, for example. It used to be that Facebook logins when you visited other websites were a big convenience that you didn't have to create a new account at every website you went to. There was a little login with Facebook option that stored your credentials and used that and that became your login to that particular site. Well, because of various reasons, including Facebook's um, uh, troubles with with personal data, with Francis Haugen, the whistleblower, with uh, with iOS, it's been under attack, and it's uh, it's fairly or unfairly um, uh, been uh, identified as as uh, playing fast and loose with privacy. So those those logins that you used to see more frequently are now no longer on the sites of Dell Computer uh, and and several uh, uh, se several other companies, uh, Twitch uh, from Amazon, um, uh, uh, Ford Motor Company. Uh, and there's there's a, about, a, about a dozen uh, that uh, I saw in a recent article. But the point being that in the, in the protection of users' data privacy, Facebook doesn't show up as a single login anymore. Uh, that's one cost, that if you are used to using your Facebook login, now you can't do so anymore, you've got to do something else, create a, a, another login, try to use Google or one of the other unified um, identity solutions. But you're asking something that gets a little bit different than that, which is how do you pay for the cost of the privacy compliance? And, yeah. and it, it, it's a hard question to answer because it's, it's, we went for two decades to the extreme of 
data sharing without consent. So we're used to an environment where the cost of data is really low and the ability to act on that data um, was virtually unregulated. It was the wild west of the internet. So that's what we've gotten used to. The reality is now that we've swung back a little bit to, to normalcy is that you can't do those things. Consumers get upset about them. And if you do those things, we're at the point of no return. Consumers get a vote now as to whether they're sharing their data. So one, so. Yeah, which is one, an interesting point. Who owns the data? Who owns the data? Who owns the data? Right. It's the consumers. And there's schemes that have arisen where consumers can share their data. They can. So the, uh, one which I thought was really clever is that um, you can request to delete your information and you can request delete your information from, from companies that are under California law. So you can go to Facebook and go to Google and ask to delete your information. Well, there's companies that will then turn around uh, and then sell that back to those companies and see how much they'll pay for it. So, so there's a way of how does this get paid for? It's the consumer gets the money in those cases. That's not widely adopted, of course. So by and large, the cost is borne by, by businesses um, just like any other tax um, has to be borne, just like any other regulation or rule needs to be borne, right? If we, workplace safety has a cost, but it's we would argue that workplace safety is a necessity, that we wouldn't complain about that. Privacy is going to be in the same category, that it is a necessity and there is a cost for it. But companies like Bolt have reduced that cost because we automate things that used to be manual to make sure you're uh, doing the right thing. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I wanted to go just as a, as a shameless <laughs> plug for Boltive, uh, because you, you have actually set this up uh, so that it is probably about as frictionless as it could be. Um, if my understanding of your engine is, is correct here and, yeah. and some of the product offerings that you have, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, as a, as a business, you know, I mean, plug, you know, it's basically plug and play in a lot yes, of ways. Now, I don't want correct. to simple or simplify it, but yeah. that's essentially my experience of, of what you're saying around it. Yes, it's it's a scanning solution for privacy, yeah. and we have a, a scanning and blocking solution for um, invasive ads. And so the way the technology works is the, our scanners will visit your site. You don't have to do anything, um, the, and we will observe what's going on, and we'll report back when there's errors. And there's enough fidelity and specificity and forensics in what we report back that companies can take action to make sure that consumers aren't being defrauded or consumers' data is not being abused. That, and that's the scanning solution. So it, it's it's even kind of, I'd say, faster than plug and play because it's codeless. Um, a company doesn't have to do anything. Uh, however, we also have a, a blocking solution, which is a line of code that goes on websites. And that's an extra protection because where scanning tells you the problem, blocking solves the problem. And our blocking solution will stop bad ads before they render and replace them with good ads. So publishers don't lose the opportunity to monetize that ad slot. Consumers don't have the negative experience uh, of, of viewing the malicious ad and, uh, and everything happens in milliseconds. So it's, it's unobservable to the human eye. So if I'm, you know, say, you know, a medium-sized box retailer here uh, and I'm selling product, but I'm also subsidizing, you know, the cost of uh, doing business by uh, hosting ads. What I'm hearing you say is that you've got a line of code that I can insert on my website, on the, on, on the platform, on the sales page or wherever it's at, that will automatically check the ads that uh, have been, you know, that, you know, that people are paying to, to actually uh, you know, host on my site. And if it's spurious, uh, malicious, it's going to kick it out. And there's another opportunity for somebody else that's more of a legitimate player to come in. That's correct. And 
And this is important because there's various technologies out there that will purport to do the same thing. But as a publisher, you need a proactive solution. You don't want just one, um, one defense. So it's, it's borrowing from the cybersecurity principle of defense in depth of having multiple protections yeah. against the same problem. So we have features like the real-time blocking script that I described to you. And that's driven off of, a, of our deny list, which is a real-time engine that has an updated list of the threats. And the threats are different signatures that we can see in ads. It can be the domain name, it can be other aspects within that code. And so when we see that signature come along, it gets blocked again in, in a few milliseconds. So no one is, um, is threatened by that. And, and a third method is then the dynamic threat analysis where we'll load and execute scripts. It will, we'll take it in a protected environment, like a, like a subset uh, of impressions, and we'll catch those patterns as well, because sometimes there's novel threats that we need to watch out for. That's beautiful. Now, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about browsers. I mean, there's there's two things here. You know, one is the opt-in, opt-out. You know, previously, opt-in was uh, considered to be the default. You know, it wasn't even questioned. But now, you know, with GD, you know, GDPR, uh, GDPR for that, and ADPPPA, and the yeah, other yeah. opt-out is assumed to be, you know, the the default. And unless you want in, you, yeah, you're not going to get in. Sort of a thing you know, as far as data. Yeah. I'd say just to interject, that, that's true yeah. for GDPR. That's true for GDPR. Okay. In the U.S. laws, in the U.S. laws, it's still largely an opt-out regimen. Although the ADPPA has a clause in there, um, it may have been struck in the latest draft. Where for uh, for children's information, it's an opt-in. I think that may have been stricken, but. GDPR definitely has um, the when and would we'll just be clear about what we're saying uh, in the laws today. The opt-out standard in regulatory standpoint means the user has the election to opt out, but the default is they're already opted in. Whereas an opt-in standard is the default under GDPR: the user is opted out, and when they allow you as an advertiser to send ads to them, that's considered an opt-in. Yeah, and and that's yeah you know, that's how we've structured our website. Yeah, you know, so when somebody comes in and in order yeah, for them to sign up for the mail list, yeah, it's, it's an opt-in you know, piece. I mean, they can get whatever they want, but yeah, yeah, to get emails from me, they've got to opt-in. It's not just going to be automatic. Yeah, that sort of a thing. Browsers um, are interesting. I mean, we've got a plethora of browsers and you mentioned Netscape you know, early on in the conversation here. <laughs> I, mm. I remember wrestling with that a long time ago. Um, but then there was the browser wars between Netscape and Explorer. Um, but there are all kinds of different choices here. And I'm, and I'm bringing this into the conversation here today for the listeners, because the default doesn't have to be Chrome. The default doesn't have mm -hmm. to be Safari. If you're concerned about security, now each, you know, these, these browsers are all, you know, ramping up their, uh, their, their, their security protocols, but something like Tor, you know, mm -hmm. you know where, where do, what does a browser like Tor actually uh, come into play in this ecosphere? Sure. Yeah. So the uh, Tor is actually, I think, properly classified as a VPN, a virtual private network, mm -hmm. and it has it, it has the Onion browser, if I'm calling it, or the it has the Tor browser. Actually, you are correct. It started out as a VPN. It does have the Tor browser that's wrapped into the whole product. I, I, right. I uh, you're, you're correct. I was mistaken, but um, the that is bundled together. So a browser like Tor does. Um, 
does sort of belt and suspenders kind of solution. The other browsers that do similar things like Brave or Ghostery Dawn or yeah. even Firefox don't have the VPN necessarily associated with them the, the way Tor does, but they achieve the same thing, which is to cover your tracks, to keep you anonymous on the web to an extent. Um, mm -hmm. And Tor goes a step further with what they do around IP addresses. But that anonymity going all the way back to where we started here, that anonymity will not necessarily protect me from malicious adware. No, it won't. Um, because the, the malicious, the, the, the invasive advertising doesn't need to know who you are as an individual. It just needs to know how to reach you. Right. Yeah. Now, that, that's the, yeah, that's the point yeah. I wanted to get into play here because I've talked to some folks who are going, well, I'm uh, you know, literally tell you know, Tor you know, came up in the conversation. I'm using Tor. So I don't have to worry about, you know, malware. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, I think that's <laughs> yeah. accurate. I don't think that's accurate. So yeah. it's good to get a definitive answer on that. Yeah, it's there. There is um, more ways to protect yourselves, as we as we talked about before. But even I think sometimes there are short measures that we misinterpret as protections. And you just gave one example of them. Another example is the difference between identification and individuation which is a very important concept in, uh -huh. in privacy that, that you don't need to know somebody's name, address, personal information to have the same privacy violations that, you, um, that we see every day. So identification is, is tying the attributes of someone to an identifiable contact, contact. Individuation is being able to pick somebody out from a crowd. You may not know their name and you may not know any address about them, but you can treat them, you can manipulate them differently, even without their personal contact information. So, we, so uh, I hear sometimes saying, well, this is anonymized um, or this is, this is de-identified. We use de-identification measures. And so if we keep users safe, well, that's, that's not really true because bad actors yeah. can exploit people if they know your fears, your likes, your politics. We've, we've seen that uh, from the January 6th situation to influence um, from foreign governments on elections. You just need to have a group of attributes of who is receptive to certain beliefs. And then you can yeah. foment a lot of disorder from that. See, that open, boy, okay, <laughs> we may end up scheduling another conversation here, but that opens up this whole political conversation about targeting. Uh, and, it, and they don't have to know my name. They don't even have to know necessarily you know, my mailing address or anything else, just, just the demographic profile. Yeah. And that gets, you know, show, you know that, that shows up in my browsing uh, uh profile. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways that that gets identified, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's because that. everything, the architecture of everything we're talking about is all programmatic. And it's yep. programmatic advertising. It's been called things like surveillance marketing, and, and when it's used to the extreme, but, but programmatic advertising is the world we're in now, from the world we started. And the world we started was when ads were sold with insertion orders. And uh -huh. uh, you, you just bought a bunch of space and you ran something. But over time, more and more pieces were automated. And the good news is it's all self-serve. There's no people in the middle, highly efficient, to, you know, 10 to 50 milliseconds uh, that these auctions for our, our attention occur. But it also creates lots of openings for all kinds of fraudsters and all kinds of malvertisers that uh, sneak through.
Malvertisers. There's <laughs> a, 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 a word I was hoping I'd never, never, never run into. And, and you <laughs> use the word here, uh, I, I, portmanteau, portmanteau. Uh, yeah, combination of two words. I, yeah. I've got to find a sentence to find a sentence to get in. I, I love love words that are unique that actually yeah. capture something. Portmanteau. I've, yeah. I've actually written that down and marked it out. Well, what's amazing about it, I even checked out where does the word portmanteau come from? It's it's actually an old suitcase. You may know this, but it's the old handle suitcases where you used to open it up, right? And yeah. it was it was it was two hemispheres equally sized. You put clothes in both sides and you closed it, right? We don't use that anymore. We use rollers. We use, you know, today's modern luggage, but portmanteau, which was on the outs, no one was going to use that word anymore because the, the suitcases were gone has now become the word we, when we, when we smash two things together um, and create something new out of it. That's, uh, <laughs> hey, recycle. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It is that's sustainable. Ecologically, ecologically sound here. Folks, we've been listening to Dan Freckling, uh, the CEO of uh, Boltief. Dan, I, this, your wealth of information, and, and not only that, I, I just enjoy the conversation. Uh, yeah, likewise. You're, you're erudite, you know, you're sharp, you, know, you, you bring some information in, and then it's easily digestible and understandable. So I really want to thank you for you know, agreeing to come back on the show. Uh, th this is a, a treat for me, and I hope it's a treat for the listeners. So, yeah, you, you, it's, well, it's a treat for me because I have a lot of fun. You make connections very quickly, Blaine, between things and can go, can move from topic to topic and somehow get everything covered in 30 minutes. So you're a master, you're masterful at, uh, <laughs> at, at, at your, your synchronizing of these programs. I love listening hey, to your podcast. I'm a trained professional. Don't try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've been listening to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Uh, check out my website, blainebartlett.com. It is safe and secure. Um, <laughs> all of that good kind of stuff. <laughs> I will not, I will not advertise to you, uh, unnecessarily. Um, and there's a lot of stuff up there. Yeah. And folks, you can, you can you know, snoop around. I've got some, you know, most of my IPs available, so take advantage of it. Um, and you know, the podcast is available. You know, those of you that are listening to it at all the regular channels, if you want a video of the podcast, the videos are made, uh, available on my YouTube channel under the Soul of Business podcast. So feel free to subscribe and I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and be a center of a, uh, distribution, not a center of accumulation. That's how nature works. It makes life go around a lot easier. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.